Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to episode 81 of the Women's Running Podcast. I'm Esther Newman, your host, and in this episode, I speak to Chrissy Wellington. Chrissy is so enormously famous in the world of running and cycling and swimming that she really needs no introduction, but I hate it when people say that because I'm going to introduce her anyway. Chrissy is actually part of the Women's Running family. If you read the magazine, you may have noticed her crop up in our annual product awards in which she plays a big part. So we've spoken before and it is to my utter shame she hasn't appeared on the podcast to this date. We first met a couple of years ago in Amsterdam, weirdly enough, at which interview I fangirled massively and embarrassingly, but she is too nice to bring that up here. Instead, we talk about her meteoric rise into professional sport, how she made the leap in the first place, how her coach saw her potential in the Ironman distance, and how, in fact, she didn't really come from nowhere, as everyone says. It was just an unconventional start with tons of experience of endurance, even if that was cycling around Nepal rather than around a track. She also talks passionately about the unifying and empowering force of sport, a belief that has moved with her from the world of professional sport to her current day job as Global Head of Health and Wellbeing at Parkrun. She is super inspiring and happily overlooked the Zoom call from hell. We've done our best with this one, but do please bear with a slightly glitchy call in places. It gets better. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by The North Face. Flight Vective from the North Face is an incredibly responsive trail shoe. Ultra light and breathable, it's been designed for speed and agility. The Vective technology combines a 3D carbon fibre plate and rocker midsole to turn energy into momentum to propel you forward. A bio-based outsole rubber compound provides superior traction and durability, while the upper is durable, flexible, light and protective the things. The Vective range of brilliant trail shoes enables you to power further. Available now at thenorthface.co.uk forward slash Vective. Today on the Women's Running Podcast, I'm talking to Chrissy Wellington at last. Chrissy has won all three world and championship records relating to Ironman distance triathlon 
overall world record, Ironman World Championship, and the official world record. She won the world championships in three consecutive years from 2007 to 2009, and then again in 2011, despite illness. She is the only triathlete to have won the world championship less than a year after turning pro. And what's more, she's on the Women's Running Award Testing Panel, which is probably more physically exhausting than all of that. Welcome to the podcast, Chrissy. Thank you. And you left the finest accolade till last. I'm on the women's <laughs> running testing. Oh, you did say at last and you made it sound like I was reluctant to come on. it. I took a lot of persuading, but it's actually by virtue of the fact that we're just both so incredibly busy. Um, it's very true. To our schedules to align, but I you know it's fantastic to be on. Look forward to having, having a chat. Brilliant. And, and it is a bit bonkers because we, we kind of, we live within a village of each other pretty much and um and yet the only time we've actually seen each other in person was for a, a, a little event in Amsterdam a couple of years ago which was very lovely so um but yeah it's been a long time since then yeah well, we prefer to meet in exotic locations and, yeah. and the last two years haven't really been that conducive to meeting up with anyone <laughs> so, but we, so. we can make we can change that, change that going forward. Yeah. So have you always been in this part of the world or, or is this quite a new move for you? Oh, no, Esther, I've, I've, you know, been so blessed to live in many, many different parts of the UK and indeed many countries around the world. I grew grew up in Norfolk. I went to Birmingham University. I travelled around the world. I did my master's in Manchester. I lived and worked in London. I lived and worked in Nepal. Um, and then as an athlete, again, was so privileged to be able to travel around the world but when I I don't really say retired from professional sports you don't really kind of retire but you transition away from it don't you so um, when I transitioned away from professional sport in 2012 I lived in London it was the Olympic year so I kind of threw myself into that with gusto and my husband my now husband also left professional sport and we just needed somewhere to settle and he'd lived in Bristol before so we gravitated towards the southwest made a home in Bristol had our daughter um, in Bristol and then subsequently to just over two years ago moved out to a very small village (laughs) Um, about 30 minutes south of Bristol so no relatively you know new to the area and that I wasn't born and bred here but it feels very much like home you know intuitively I think for both of us we we knew we wanted to be in the countryside we wanted that small community the opportunity for our daughter to you know walk to school and really embed ourselves within you know this close-knit network that we have so no it's it's fantastic does it feel like I was just wondering um like the geography of of kind of of where you are I I don't know if you're anywhere near sort of Somerset levels um I was wondering if that and the Norfolk Broads if they've got any kind of similarities does it remind you of a childhood yeah really interesting question yeah it absolutely does we live in, in quite a hilly area in, in the Mendip Hills and then you go over those and then, like you said, you're on, on the levels, which, mm. you know, as the name suggests, are relatively flat and exactly the same as as the landscape that I grew up in in Norfolk. And they have the, you know, the droves, which are like the gravel roads going through it and, and the drainage channels of the dikes that, that we also have in, in Norfolk. So th- there are there are a lot of similarities. I have to say I prefer the hills to to riding riding the flats. So yeah, yeah. I'll always I'll always choose a hill over the Somerset levels. <laughs> so so what was it like? I mean, so thinking of you as a kid in Norfolk, like I want to know, I mean, were, were you a sporty kid and 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 how did you how did you take to sport when you were little? Yeah, really interesting um path to professional sport, probably one that isn't conventional or or stereotypical you know what people often assume that you know sporty adults have been sporty all their lives and and I was I was always active Esther you know I played netball for the you know the school and I swam for a, a local swimming team two or three times a week and that was really the extent of it I was always very driven, very competitive, but I channeled all of that into academia. So all I wanted was to excel at school. And mm. so sport was was my social outlet. It was just something I did for fun with, with no intent on 
um, realizing any potential I, I may have had. And, and the same was true of university, was focused on socializing and, and academia, really. And it was only when I was doing, well, I went traveling and I started walking a lot more, especially in New Zealand and, and Australia. The environment is just so conducive to walking. And, and I wasn't very fit, um, kind of a legacy of, of overindulging at, at university. And I just started walking. And then when I was doing my my master's, I think that I, I needed a, a, a release, this physical and psychological release from, from my studies. And so I started running and we're all beginners. We're all beginners once, the same is true of, of me. And, and I, having walked, I'd gained some, a lot of fitness through walking mm. and started running. And as, as we all do, you know, it gradually progressed more and more. I did it all at, you know, the same pace. Um, so I was like metronomic in that, in that respect. But I, I really enjoyed it. But as much for the, you know, the, the mental health reasons, not that we spoke so much about mental health then, but for the mental health reasons and, and obviously the, the physical benefits that it, that it brought. And I was inspired, actually, incredibly inspired by a friend who had done the London Marathon um, the year before. Uh, and she had grown up with a heart defect and she'd run the London Marathon and I'd always seen it on TV and I thought, wow, you know, my heart is fine and I've got two legs and two arms and what's stopping me? And so I, I got a place um, for with a charity and, and ran the London Marathon in, in 2002. And that was really when I cut my teeth in endurance sports mm. and in retrospect, realized a passion for something that I didn't know I had and a talent for something that I didn't know that that I had either so in that respect it was it was a revelation but it Mm. wasn't necessarily something I'd always grown up doing and growing up doing with focus and obsession so that you go from there and I think you got a pretty good time that first marathon didn't you like it wasn't shoddy it was three hours and eight minutes so like I said you know I for me that was just hugely hugely surprising Mm. and it wasn't something I ever aspired to do. And I, all uh, every stage of, of the amazing sporting journey I've been on, I, I just think I've surprised myself with what I've been able to achieve. And it's not defeatist. It's not, it's just, I'd never know where my capabilities are. So I didn't go into my first Ironman or indeed my first world championships aspiring to win. Mm. It's just I didn't have a measure of, you know my potential and and how good or otherwise I might be and and so every step of the way I've surprised myself maybe by not placing limits on myself just by being open to exploring my potential so yes it it was a surprise and it was a it was a good time for someone in in their first marathon and something that I'm really really proud of. Then tell me about that move then that move from that first marathon to try I mean, that's that's a big leap and that's going from one sport to three sports. What what happened there? It seems like a big leap, but there's a beauty in triathlon that you don't have to be phenomenal at any one sport. You can be average in all three, but when you put them together, you're actually quite good. Um, I'd say that in jest, but but really I'd I'd grown up. I'd grown up swimming, so at least I had the technique, which which is imp- you know important if you're wanting to take it a bit more seriously. To have that that technique at a young age is is useful. I could run, and I kind of dashed around London on my commuter <laughs> bike. I was working for the government. Uh, I was a policy advisor on international development policy, so I was just whizzing around London commuting on this bike so I guess I'd done all three but definitely cycling was the one I had least experience um least um the the least skill and talent in I think and again sources of inspiration golden thread going through my life and I was inspired by someone that you know, had done a triathlon and said, well, you know, you can swim a bit. You can obviously run having done the London Marathon. And why don't you do a triathlon? 
And it, it was really as simple as that. And so I think it was a combination of being encouraged by by someone and someone that I knew. And then I have this curiosity and desire to to explore and to try new things. So when combined, I, I simply said yes to, to doing a triathlon, but never aspiring to to greatness, just simply enjoying the new challenge, number one, and the camaraderie that comes from, you know, throwing yourself into a into a new sport. I mean, you're clearly talented immediately, like, you know, in your first ever try that you came third, I think. And did you did you know you were good at it? No. And that's the beauty. I think we're, we all have talents. And unless we try new things and throw ourselves into situations and circumstances and environments, we're never gonna, we're never going to know what we're going to enjoy and what we're going to like and what we might be talented at. So, no, I. I didn't know that, you know, had had this potential in, in endurance sports. And I, yeah, again, it was just this incredible surprise. But it was also at that time that I I took a sabbatical from, from my job and went to live and work in Nepal. So I, I did a couple of triathlons and I was bitten by the bug, actually, Esther, and, and really, really enjoyed them. But I also moved overseas, went to live and work in Nepal. I was managing water and sanitation projects out there. But then when when I wasn't working, I I was cycling and I bought a bike and cycled every day before work. And people say as as a professional athlete, I came from nowhere. But I think it's important to realize I came from somewhere. I just didn't take a conventional path to professional sport, but those experiences, the experience I had in my life, and that we all have in our lives, they shape us. And especially that experience in Nepal, in many respects, shaped me into the athlete that I was to become physically, psychologically, even spiritually, everything you see in Nepal is so empowering and educational and like I said yeah that was I think the springboard for me to then I came back to the UK after a year and a half and I had this this strength this physical strength and this psychological strength I think that I developed um riding in the Himalayas that I could just bring to bear on triathlon so when I came back I was back in my job and then I joined a club and I got a coach and I did take it a lot more seriously and I qualified for the the world what we call the world age group championships which are the amateur level competition I raced that in 2006 and again I surprised myself I just never knew what I was capable of and and thanks to my coach and and the team that I was in and the background I'd I'd had in in Nepal for example I, I I won that race and at that point was faced with this big decision about whether or not to become a professional athlete. I want to know about that tipping point the bit where you decided to go professional what drove you to do that what was it like to give up work because you had a, a pretty hefty job didn't you? Yeah, I was back in, in in the job that I'd had prior to going to Nepal. So I was a, a policy advisor in Whitehall, so a civil servant essentially, advising on international development policy. So it was it was a job that I was that I loved, anchored around like my kind of core life purpose. So it's really hard actually to to leave it. And and I think change for for many many people, including me, is is really scary. And and I was incredibly fearful at that time, fearful of failure, of not being able to make a living, of what people would think, making a fool of myself. But I so I never ever want to think what if or be left wondering. And intuitively I knew that it was literally now or never. I was I was 30 years old. So although it was challenging, I think instinctively, I knew that that was the right choice for me. And often when I've made poorer choices in my life, it's when I haven't listened to that inner voice. And I think that gut instinct is really powerful. I knew that, that if I didn't make the choice to, to become a professional athlete, then I would, would never know. But you can also de-risk de-risk the situation and that's what I did you know I I spoke to who, the person that would become my coach to 
for him to have a look at me and see if he thought I had what it took. I took a sabbatical for my job, so I didn't leave my job. So things like that enable you to de-risk. But essentially, yes, I, I pivoted and, and became a professional athlete, but only ever wanting to focus on Olympic distance. Um, I just couldn't conceive of an Ironman and, and being able to complete that distance. It, it just, it, it absolutely baffled me. So Olympic distance was all, really all I knew and, and what I was focusing on. But it was my coach that very quickly saw something in me that I hadn't seen. And he knew that my talents lay not in the Olympic distance race, but in in the longer course, but in, in Ironman. And that's what he I'd like to say encouraged. He was a bit of a command control authoritarian character. So he uh, uh, practically ordered me to do my first Ironman, but fortunately I didn't look back. (laughs) So, I mean, the training for that, whether it's Olympic or or Ironman distance, the training must be absolutely intense because you're doing, you know, three sports, not one. Was Was the time commitment huge? The training as a professional athlete in in any sport, is is demanding because it isn't just the discipline itself it isn't just the swimming the cycling and running it's everything else that goes into honing your body and mind to be the best that it can be but if you're if you're looking at it in terms of hours spent swimming cycling and running it definitely is demanding of 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 your time you know three four five six hours a day um but of course, I, I was forced very quickly to realize that rest is such an important part of training. And for me, I came into it with the the idea that rest was tantamount to weakness. I, I hated to rest. Um, but I realized very quickly um, that it was important as part of training in order to be able to reap the benefits of all the hard work that I was doing. And often we need permission to rest, don't we? Or at least I do, I speak for myself. And it was my coach giving me that permission and also seeing my training partners also being able to rest really, really helped helped me. But yes, training is, is challenging. It's demanding physically, but also demanding mentally. And, and you've got to have a capacity for for withstanding discomfort, but also withstanding boredom because you're in your own head for a very long period of time and you have to be able to endure that and to deal with that and to cope with all of the ebbs and flows and the highs and the lows and the inner voices telling you to quit. And it's in training that you develop all those psychological tools that can then benefit you on race day. So you went pro, what, 2006? Is that right? 2007. 2007, February 2007. And then you have a win the following year. I won the world championships the the same year that I turned professional. The same so I, year. I um, embarked on my journey as a professional athlete in February and I was crowned world champion in the October. And it was as meteoric as it, <laughs> as it sounds. But I think just thinking about the, you know, what I spoke about before, I was shaped by all of those life experiences. I came from nowhere, but yet I didn't. Um, And I was so fortunate to have an incredible team around me. I mean, people see triathlon as an individual sport, running as an individual sport. And in some respects, it is in that we have to execute on our own on race day. But I never, ever got to the start and definitely not the finish line alone. And and it it was an incredible team effort. And I was so well supported even in that first year, and that enabled me to uh, achieve my potential. And I think from there on in, I I had a goal. Initially, I went into the sport thinking, I just want to see how good I can be. Mm. And then on winning the world championships, I had this really tangible goal then to, to, to focus everything around. But Esther, that, that moment changed my life forever. I don't think it changed me as a person forever, at least I hope it. It, it didn't, but it it definitely changed my life forever. I, I, I'd always wanted this platform to drive positive change. And for me, sport, professional sport is an incredibly selfish pursuit. 
it's about you know it's self-gratification it's self-indulgent it's all about you and and the pursuit of your own goal but you can you can also achieve so much more through through sport it can be a really unifying empowering force and for me that was the purpose that was the, my why I did it there had to be a a higher why and for me it was that sport would give me this platform and this voice that I could choose to to use as powerfully as 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 I as I wanted and, and needed to and and that that was incredibly important to me um so that that win in 2007 it, it, it changed changed my life but it it gave me this incredible opportunity too I, yeah I can see that and then then um the other thing that I was reading about well I've read quite a lot of things about you because I've been doing <laughs> a big internet troll but um but the thing that fascinates me is the is the kind of the the big lows that preceded the big highs which were the sort of two was it two big bike crashes like one year after another um and that, that just sounded devastating and yet somehow enabling oh yeah it's fascinating if if you know you you dive into that and and you know the journey to to success and and I did mention that that my skill on the bike <laughs> probably wasn't what it should be which is probably why I kept falling off but absolutely right um part of being an athlete of of any caliber is enduring the highs and lows for me that's the beauty of sport is that you're raw and you're vulnerable and you're exposed and that it's unpredictable and that it's challenging and that it tests you and that means that you're going to encounter pain and adversity and disappointment and illness and injury because you're pushing the envelope. You're testing yourself. You're challenging yourself. And I, I, I think that the adversity, the disappointments are part and parcel of the journey. But they're also the making of you. They're opportunities to learn and grow. And I learned so much from the times that I was ill or injured. And you don't see it then when you're wallowing in your own self-pity. But in retrospect, you look back and you think, wow, I learned so much about nutrition, about rest, about seeking help from others, about bike handling, all of those things I learned from the mistakes I made that meant that I, I had the problem that I needed to encounter and, and, and overcome. So absolutely, the majority of my successes were preceded by a what you might term a fall. But I think I was a a champion because of those disappointments or problems and 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 not despite of them and the journey for me was perfect precisely because it was imperfect <laughs> i think those <laughs> things need need to happen yeah um and often can be quite humbling can't they and and really force you to look at yourself and not take anything for granted and think about what you might learn and what you might do differently and it was definitely the case and still is the case for me and thinking of those races you know your 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 more successful races well all your races to be honest because um when I was going through your races I was doing that scrolling thing that you do and it felt like you know like when you have to choose your birth year and not you me but when I have to choose my birth year and you have to just go keep on going for ages and ages and ages <laughs> of this awful awful scroll wheel of death um but your races there are so many of them you, there are so many achievements it's such a glittering career do, do any of those races really kind of stick in your mind is there any that you are particularly fond of um there was one where I had an absolutely appalling race the Columbia triathlon where I finished sixth which wasn't a great result for me and I learned so much from that race it was a springboard for me changing the way in which I prepared because I went into that race probably with an arrogance because I was already two-time world champion and and I was humbled. And I think from then on, I, I was meticulous in my, in my preparation in a way that I hadn't been before. So for me, that, that was a phenomenal race because it was a learning opportunity. The, the first race that my parents ever came to watch was very, very special. And the subsequent races, all of my races in Roth hold a special place in my heart because I've 
surpassed my own expectations in breaking world records there and and to have my friends and family and, and to do it in on such a phenomenal stage as the one in Roth it is is really really very very special um my final race I think has to be the one that means the most to me because I proved that I could win when I was raw, when I was vulnerable, when I was exposed with the help of my team. And that race totally completed me as an athlete. I needed nothing more than that race. And that's why I knew that I I was complete and that the time was right to retire because it gave me everything. It gave me everything that times and positions never will. It, it, It just gave me this satisfaction and this fulfillment that I was I was enough. And that's that's why I cho- chose to retire at that point, because that's all you can ask as an athlete. <laughs> that's just amazing. It sounds so emotional. It feels really emotional. It just um, I wish more of us. I wish more of us knew that about ourselves. It feels quite wise. I, as, as a professional athlete, you have to, to move away from the sport and you can do that at a time of your own choosing. Or unfortunately, some athletes, you know, are forced out of the sport through injury or non-selection if if you're in in, in that, that type of sport. And for me, it, it, again, it was intuitive. I just knew, I just knew that I'd received the gift that sport needed to give me. And that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. And can always aspire to do more you can always aspire to win more to to go faster um and there's a lot of um satisfaction that comes from that but for me it was about knowing I had been the best athlete that I could be on the day and I I just don't think that any other race could have given me that apart from that one and and yeah like I said it 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 completed me. And, and life is a series of incarnations, isn't it? Mm-hmm. it my, my life has been. Uh, you know, I've worn a lot of different hats. I've trodden a lot of different paths. And I, I think it's important to keep moving and keep challenging yourself. And the easiest thing for me to do would have been to remain a professional athlete. It was my comfort zone, Esther. It doesn't sound like that when you're, you know, smashing yourself silly for six hours a day, but it was my comfort zone. It was what I was good at. Mm. I had security, I had financial security. I had, you know, public acclaim and, and respect. <laughs> and I, I had a goal and a structure and identity. And it's, the hardest thing is to step away from that and to carve out a new path and, and try and work out who on earth you are if you are not Christy Wellington four-time world champion and what your worth is mm-hmm. you know your worth is is wedded to the validation that that label gives and and so that was that was a challenging process and that's a really important process right to go through that and question who you are and what matters to you and where you want to live and what life you want to lead um and and so the race completed me and, and it gave me the opportunity to um, carve out a new journey for, for myself too. Which has been like equally as exciting, I think. It's just, um, I remember speaking to you when we, we had a really brief chat in Amsterdam. And I remember, I remember you talking about how it was really important for you to cross a finish line with a big smile on your face. And you're, you are known for that. These lovely photographs of you finishing races. And um, particularly that last one, and and I remember you saying that it was important for you to to kind of to to show people that it was enjoyable, that it was you know that you were it was a great thing to do, which I I think that's just amazing. Smiling is important for many many reasons. So first, to convey your love and enjoyment for what you do, that's that's so important. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and and I you know part of that is that smile on my on my face secondly physiologically really relaxing you know if you clench your face and your jaw then your whole body tenses up so for me it was much more relaxing to 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 smile and that helped helped me perform better and also you you know it's amazing how men how people respond to you when they see that you're enjoying it you know and that that support can be incredibly uplifting. So 
for me, there were various benefits of, of of smiling, but but ultimately, it's sport. It's fun. We're supposed <laughs> to enjoy it. It doesn't go always go according to plan, but I wanted to convey that that love and 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 joy. And yes, like you said, my my life now it's it's very different. It's it's not conducted in the public realm. It's it's quite private. It's a lot more simple. I'd like to think it's a lot more balanced. Not that I was unbalanced in the sense that I was very quite myopic in my in my focus as a sports person. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I have many different interests. Um, I try and do my best at, at all of the roles I have as a as a mother, as a wife, as you know, as global head of health and well-being for part run in my own kind of amateur sporting endeavors. I try I try and do my best. I don't know if I'm setting the world on fire on any of them. But <laughs> It is, you know, I'm 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 a lot more balanced. It's much more of a a simpler, um, probably less demanding life in in many respects, but enriching in in a very very different way. Yeah, no, I mean, I can see that, and I think that um, I love the way that the kind of the Chrissy smile kind of segues so beautifully into your current role at Parkrun, I think. I think it has, there's a direct correlation as far as I'm concerned. We love making this podcast for you and we hope you love it just as much. If you do, we're asking for your support so that we can continue making it. We've joined up with Patreon to do that awkward thing of asking for money. But the thing is, we're only asking you to donate less than a very average cup of coffee a month you can become a patron of the Women's Running Podcast for as little as £2 a month. For that, you get four whole new podcasts a month and we're offering you some lovely perks. And, if you're very generous, a free subscription to the digital magazine too. Come and be part of the Women's Running Podcast and we will love you forever. Please go to patreon.com forward slash women's running to join us can you can you tell me why you joined parkrun what's why does it chime with you parkrun for me is one of the most successful public health interventions of our time it brings people of all walks and runs of life together outside being active in a really really supportive welcoming communal yeah environment and for me what makes it so special is that everyone no matter who they are no matter whether they're running it in 15 minutes or walking it in 55 is on a level playing field everyone is united under the banner of being a uh, sorry being a part runner and it's the same as being a triathlete no matter whether you're at the pointy end of an Ironman or you know, you're finishing it in 17 hours, you're an Ironman athlete, and it's it's the same, you know, at, at part run. Everyone is united under that banner of, of being a part runner. And for me, that's what makes it so special. It brings people together. People can be active in whatever manner suits them. So walking, jogging, running, all of some of it, volunteering, come along and cheering or socialising at, at, at the end. So really, you can consume it in whatever way, you want and and need to mm. on that particular day and what makes it so special its impact on health and well-being and we know it anecdotally we've all heard the wonderful stories of of people that you know whose lives have been changed but also um evidentially in terms of academic research we we know at population level that it's having a phenomenal impact not just on physical health but just as importantly on on mental and emotional health um of individuals but also making communities much richer much more wholesome and much more happy it must feel like a bit of a dream come true working for park run esther as with any role it has <laughs> challenges but i always want to have a career that's aligned with my purpose and this very very much is and and every role like I said has its ups and has its downs and have has its difficulties but that's part and parcel of of employment and what makes that that employment journey so special Mm. ultimately I 
take great pride in working for an organization whose vision and ethos and mission is entirely aligned with with my own and I can play a small part in helping to impact positive change so yes I feel I feel incredibly lucky incredibly mm-hmm. privileged and and blessed to to be in the position that I am I'll tell you what though I mean they're bloody lucky to have you to be honest because I mean because it's not just parkrun is it I mean it seems to me that you're continually pushing for positive change and for equality and this is something that I found out in researching you and I didn't know this so I assume that lots of people won't know this that you were part of a group that campaigned for and successfully created a women's race at the Tour de France which is incredible but also almost unimaginably that was only 2014 so why did that take so long and what did you have to do to change things? I as a triathlete, was fortunate to participate in a sport which is relatively, compared to other sports, egalitarian in that women race on the same day, on the same course, which is the same distance for the same prize money Mm. and commercial and sponsor opportunities as as the men. And I I felt very, very fortunate to, to be... Um, in in that position and, and to be afforded those opportunities and it was on speaking to a number of friends that were professional cyclists that I became aware that that the situation just was not the same in 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 women's cycling uh, the women had a dearth of race opportunities sponsor opportunities there wasn't an equal chance for participation the performance pathway was different the the prize mm. was different um and at every stage that women seemed to be disadvantaged and i collaborated with um a number of, of female cyclists you may have heard of of emma pooley um, um marianne voss and Catherine Bertine from the from the states to to create a little collective. Firstly, to really understand what the landscape looked like for women cycling, um, and and the history of the sport, and then to work with um, those in, in power to to try and affect change, um, and to really understand what the barriers might be in order to be able to find solutions. Um, and there was, you know. A, it it was an incredible challenge and we worked very closely with the ASO which is the company the organization that owns the Tour de France and as the kind of flagship event for cycling around the world we wanted to resurrect a women's race at the Tour de France there had been a women's race previously in decades past but um, it was dropped and it was kind of a symbol of, of of the negligence that women's cycling was was faced with, yeah. And so we decided to campaign for for a women's race to be resurrected. And initially, you know, we were successful. We got a one day race, La Course, which was held on the final day of the Tour de France. Um, and it was a small victory, mm-hmm. but it's only this year that. Uh, a, an eight-day stage race has been announced for women at the Tour de France. So there's still not a quality there in terms of race distance, but at least there there are more significant steps being made. And, and not only that, Zwift has come on as a commercial partner, which gives kind of credibility um, and visibility mm. to the event. I think it will act as a phenomenal springboard. So... I, I'd like to think that we, again, played a small part in, in driving change. We're certainly not the only ones, and we weren't the first people to put our voice to the call for equality in, in female cycling. But progress has been made, and hopefully in generations to come, they'll reap the rewards for people that were you know, actively campaigning for, for better equality yeah. um, in the sport. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, well, fingers crossed, absolutely, as you say. Um it's it's just it's wonderful because you know you can kind of hear your passion for equality and um it's lovely to know that you're there behind the scenes at parkrun and that you know you're you're kind of like a driving force behind 
these sorts of things. Um, and I, I think it's just it's incredibly inspiring, you know, that you, that you you always seem to want people to move, um, you know, through your own sport, and and you're doing that in all sorts of different kinds of ways. Not least your children's books. <gasps> Ah, nice segue. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> so how how did that come about? I'm always trying to explore opportunities to inspire people mm. in many different ways. Through you know, I I feel so fortunate to have had the journey that I have had in in education and in sport, and I've been afforded so many opportunities. And other people don't have those opportunities. So my role with Park Run, um, for example, I just am so passionate about promoting inclusivity and trying to break down barriers. And likewise with these books, just another opportunity, another vehicle, another channel mm. to inspire and uplift and, and motivate people. And they were born out of the pandemic. Myself and a friend, Susie, um, wanted to find a way to promote holistic health and well-being specifically amongst children but also amongst those that that might read the book to them so parents carers guardians teachers for example and mm. provide um, a really useful vehicle for like I said inspiring people and uplifting people at a time when we feel that we really needed it most and and still need it so it provides mm. some really tangible practical tips in in the form of a of a fictional narrative so one of them you're so amazing is is a little girl talking to to a flower and the flower is imparting a lot of different lessons and then in you're so strong it's a, a brother and a sister talking to an oak tree and again it's the oak tree imparting the 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 life lessons so mm. again it 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 was a challenge. It was a labor of love. It was interesting to write, to, to, to be part of some, kind of a collaborative project because previously, mm. you know, the books I've written have, I, I, I've done myself. Um, and so collaborating with some, someone else was, was challenging, very, very special. And um, I really, really enjoyed the process and I'm keen to continue to work with Susie to to create more more material, more resources um, for parents, for schools, for children. Um, to yeah, to really uplift hearts, hearts and minds. I love that. I love. I mean, I love the fact that you're kind of, you know, you're seeking out things to continue to inspire people to move, to be active. Um, as if you weren't inspiring enough as a person having done what you've done. Um, but, you know, I, so I, I just think that's incredible, actually. Um, and I mean, you know, and since the triathlon days, there's been a move and we talked about it a little bit a couple of years ago, but I know that you've moved into sort of a different sort of sport, um, ultras, in fact. Um, lots and lots of running, lots of running. Um, so less cycling, less swimming. Um, what what made you? What made that? What what made that change? What what's what's good about ultras? And uh, not swimming and not cycling. <laughs> <laughs> you have a child, and all of a sudden you have no time. <laughs> uh. And you know, I, I might joke and jest, but but it is true. I, I think. My, my priorities in life changed and no no longer did I want this kind of myopic focus on, mm. on myself, <laughs> um, this kind of self-absorbed pursuit of, of, of triathlon and nor did I want to dedicate as much time to being the best triathlete I could be. Mm. And I wanted to explore new challenges. And for me, ultra running was and is an incredible new challenge and people think it's quite easy to kind of transition from being a great triathlete to, to, to ultra running and, and it's most definitely not there's a totally different skill set required I have maybe the endurance or the legacy of, of some endurance um, in, in my legs but really there's a lot of technical skill involved and obviously nutrition is, is slightly 
different when when you're running rather than when you're doing three sports so for me it was it was an incredible challenge and it was born out of also a desire to to move away from this kind of metric based approach so when I was a professional athlete although I I wasn't overly wedded to technology we do use it and 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 Mm. It's on, you know, running in the pool, for example, were very important. And I wanted to move away from that. I didn't want to be wedded to these kind of performance metrics in terms of split times or pace uh, or even finish position, actually, Esther. So I, I just mm-hmm. wanted to liberate myself and go out and have an exploratory journey, which is for me what what ultra running is. So I I don't often run with, or I don't run with a GPS watch. I run with a very old Casio watch that I bought for about 15 quid that tells me when <laughs> I've got to go home again. Um, <laughs> and that's about it. And, it, and it, for me, it's really liberating. And so I don't do structured training sessions. I um, don't have a time goal in mind because that's impossible when you're running, you know, off-road really. So for me, I think it, it goes back to that that raw experience of activity and sport that I had maybe before I became a professional athlete when I very, was very first getting into running, when I was cycling in the pool, and I'm enjoying it. I, I've done a number of ultra marathons. I did one two weekends ago on the Offers Dyke, so it's 30, I think it was supposed to be 32 miles, but I think it was closer to 34 miles um, when all was said and done, uh, called Sea to Summit, which was a phenomenal race, really yeah. lovely. Um, I really, really enjoyed it and um, look forward to to doing some more in, in 2022. So is, is the goal more races? You don't have a goal in terms of... I don't know, um, time or achievement or no, nothing like Um, that. I'm shaking my head um, and obviously people can't see that, but no, I don't. Um, I, I have the goal of, of just bringing my best self to every, every race, but Mm. I also can only be the best in the context of my life. That's all we can ever ask of ourselves. And so I can only be the best version of me that is an employee for park run that is a you know a wife a a mother that has Mm. other interests so I have to balance my desire to be competitive with my wish to to really dedicate myself to other areas of my life and so I'm reconciled to the fact that that might mean that I do win and it might mean that I don't win um but ultimately, ultimately for me, I just really, really want to enjoy the process of the training, the event, and give it give it absolutely everything. Um, but I, no, I don't have a, a kind of a performance metric in, in mind. But having said that, if I go into a race and I find myself having done well, goal setting is an iterative process and then you start to think oh I've done quite well at that I wonder if if I entered this that's maybe a much more competitive event how would I fare so uh, you know I'd like to put myself in a position where I'm doing some you know some less competitive for example races and maybe more local races and then I, I I try and see where I am on on the world stage or world stage on the national stage at, at some you know some higher level um, competitions as well so I think 2022 will be a mix of those but at, at the moment I definitely don't have a, a performance outcome in mind. That sounds good do, do you feel like a completely different person than you were say 10 years ago do you because that feels like that feels like quite a huge shift in mindset I feel liberated by what I achieved as a professional athlete Mm. because I I don't have anything more to prove physically um there's always more that I that, that I can achieve of course there is but I I feel liberated I think having been at my absolute physical peak mm-hmm. knowing that 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 was the very very best athlete that I could ever be with that single-minded focus on that 
on that goal. Um, and and so now, you know, I, I can just play, Esther. I can, <laughs> I can just play and 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 have and have fun with that. But like anyone, I am riddled with nerves and self doubt and worries and fears about <laughs> what I look like and perceptions of me and oh, you know, what if I do this and I, you know. <laughs> I'm struggling to finish and what are people going to think? And I have all those fears. So just because you're four-time world champion doesn't mean that they suddenly dissipate. <laughs> I still have them. And it's, it's a challenge for me to, to do a race because I, I find it hard to put myself out there in, in public and be less of an athlete, as it were. Yeah. Realise people aren't looking at me in the same way that I think they're looking at me if that makes sense. Yeah. And if I thought about that, I would never do anything. So I have to try and put those fears to one side and put myself on the line. And I know that, or hope that those words resonate with people. They might not have achieved what I have done physically, but I'm sure many people are nervous about racing if they feel they're not, they haven't got the same physicality as they had five years ago they you know they might have had an injury they might have given birth or whatever and it's scary it's scary to try new things and it's scary to put yourself out there but if if we don't we won't do anything and so I'm fearful too but I I just try my best to to override that and to to put myself on on the line anyway knowing that it's never (laughs) as bad as you think it's gonna be (laughs) That's true. That's true with most things, isn't it? I think, um, you know, you've you've achieved so much, Chrissy. I mean, you know, the world records, the campaigning, actually, the books, the introduction of junior park run. I mean, what I want to know is when you look back, say you were writing your memoir now, today, which bit of that fills you with the most pride or is it too difficult to choose? I... I am most proud of my willingness to try because it's given me answers to questions that I never even knew I was asking of myself. Mm. So I think throughout my life, I've been open to trying new things and that's led me some, to some phenomenal places. So I'm, I'm proud of myself that I have seized those opportunities with the support of those around me. And my proudest achievement is our daughter because... I look at her and and she's she's taught taught myself and Tom so much and I, I yeah I, I think she is she is by far our proudest achievement and one that one that we treasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, what have you got your sights on next? What what uh, what bit of the world are you going to change? <laughs> I think in the wake of COVID, inequalities have grown like we've never seen in, in our lifetime. And ill health is becoming deeper and, and much more entrenched. And there's an opportunity to to change things and to improve things. So I'd like to think that through my role at Part Run and and out, outside of that, I can help to address some of those growing inequalities, growing problems, and make sure that the the impact, the negative impact of COVID is 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 minimized. So I think a, a macro scale really trying to focus on um, on changing health and well-being for the for the better. And and personally, you know, being the best mother I, I can be, it's it's a a continuous learning process isn't it though yeah and, um, you know that's that's really really important to me and I'm personally throwing myself into those ultra marathons <laughs> and hopefully through that achieving more than I thought I could um, <laughs> but yeah for me those those present a, 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 um, an important physical challenge which is an important part of of my, of my life yeah so yeah, that, I think that's three rather big and important goals right there, which is lovely. Which is change the world, <laughs> be the parent you can be, and 
do the stuff you want to do. It's, um, yeah, lessons for us all there, I think. But, um, but thank you so much for talking to me, Chrissy. It's been so lovely to catch up with you. You too. Thank you um, so much for the opportunity. It's been absolutely wonderful to connect. Oh, yeah. No, it's been lovely. And um, we'd like to ask you back on again at some point in the future, please, particularly after some ultras uh, next year, maybe. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I'd love to do a readout yeah. of uh, of an ultra marathon. <laughs> oh thank you very much Chrissy. i'll speak to you very soon i'm sure thank you take care thanks thank you for listening do please email us at wrpodcast at anthem.co.uk with any questions or running stories as we'd love to include them in a future podcast this podcast was recorded over zoom as you could probably tell the editor and composer was david newman please hit like and subscribe. That way you won't miss the next episode. If you like the podcast, please think about supporting us on Patreon to help us keep going. For the price of an incredibly cheap coffee, you'll have our undying adoration and a couple of exclusive perks. Go to patreon.com forward slash women's running to join our gang and help us produce this podcast. Happy running. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 